You are listening to Uncommentary. Hey folks, this is Marty. I want to remind you again about my friend Byron at Hearts and Minds Books and encourage you to order from this uh, independent bookstore up in Pennsylvania. Uh, it's heartsandmindsbooks.com, and when you go there, you'll see easily the navigation to uh, request a book or to ask about a book. Uh, they're super helpful. If you'll mention Uncommentary, uh, on some books you can get a discount. They can't discount everything because of the nature of their small operation, but when they can, they do. And I really encourage you to check them out. Uh, he mentioned to me recently that there has been some business come, come his way as a result of the podcast. That makes me like really happy. That's heartsandmindsbooks.com. Uh, you can actually leave a card on file. I do this all the time. And then email him when you want a new book and how you want it shipped to you. And he can handle it uh, right there through your email. And uh, it's really, really encouraging to him. And so I encourage you to check them out. Have you ever traced your family genealogy? Back in the day, we called it tracing your family tree. I don't know if that's still the term or not. My guest today did that over the course of a number of years, dating back well before the advent of the Internet and the ease with which you can do so with sites like Ancestry.com. He did it the old-fashioned way. He went to libraries, uh, probably the courthouse, too. His name is Melvin Edwards. He turned his genealogy, his family search, into a book. Uh, and he organized it around family stories. So we'll hear some of those today. But he also talks a little bit about how to do this, if it's something that you're interested in, uh, going back into your search to see if you're descended from some king or queen or duke uh, or just, you know, folks. So uh, here's my conversation with Melvin Edwards. It's a good one. My guest today has written a book called The Eyes of Texans. From Slavery to the Texas Capitol, Personal Stories from Six Generations of One Family. And one of my personal slogans is mess with Texas. I, um, I love to harass people who live, from, who live in Texas. I, and I don't know if we can continue. <laughs> <laughs> and th- this is the funny part about it is that comes back uh, or that goes back to those uh, Saturday Night Live skits where uh, – uh, uh, Will Farrell played George W. Bush and whoever played the, per- you know, played a, who they were debating. And at one point they give Bush this question that he obviously can't answer. And he, his answer is don't mess with Texas. And so ever since then, my, my life's mission has been to mess with Texas as much as I can. That's uh, pretty funny. So, uh, Melvin, Edward, Melvin Edwards is my guest today. He's written a book called the eyes of Texans and, um, it's his own, family's story. So, Melvin Edwards, welcome to Uncommentary. Thanks, Marty. It's nice to be here. Thanks for having me on. Now, after I say all that, you don't even live in Texas. You live in Maryland or something, right? <laughs> yes, but you don't need to tell people that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I am a Texan through and through, but I currently live in Maryland. That gotcha. Right. Okay. Well, um, how about uh, since you're some, some of my listeners might actually know you from Twitter, same way that I do. Uh, but for folks who don't know anything about you, they, they're not familiar with your book, just uh, ex- take a minute or so and say who you are and what you like to do. Well, first of all, I, I like to fight people who's, who mess with Texas. So that's <laughs> the first thing you need to know about me. <laughs> so get ready. That's right. It's on. It's on we hawking. Dawn. <laughs> By the way, do you happen to know where that slogan comes from, the origin of it? 
not Will Ferrell? Man, I thought it was Will Ferrell. No, it's actually it goes back to the seventies. Oh no, I and have no idea. It, it, people have no idea outside of Texas. It's actually an anti-litter campaign, <laughs> and it was it was a it was a bunch of commercials, a series of commercials that had <laughs> Nolan Ryan and, and Matthew McConaughey and and um, George Strait and Willie Nelson, and you see somebody throwing trash out of their car on the highways, and it says if you're Littering in Texas, you're messing with Texas. And then the end slogan is don't mess with Texas. Oh, my word. That is hilarious. <laughs> that is so yeah. funny. Well, I, yeah, I'm not sorry. advocating littering in Texas. I just want to be clear. <laughs> okay, good. We don't want to have to, we don't want to have to make a citizen's arrest. But uh, yeah, just, just a little bit about me. Um, and like you mentioned, I'm a writer. And I, I say that because I, I write all kinds of stuff. I write at work. I'm recent author so i've written all my life but this is the first book i've written oh cool at least the first book i've finished mm-hmm. i'll put it that way mm-hmm. I've, I've started a couple books this is the first one i'm actually finished um i i belong to a songwriters group um i was a the class poet when i was in high school i i just like to write words are words are part of who i am very cool um i'm married i've got four adult children um, three of whom live in Texas. Uh, my son lives in Virginia. I've got two stepsons who are twins, about to turn 13 years old. So oh, wow. I'm ju- jumping right into that fire after I got my kids into yeah. adulthood. So I'm helping my wife raise her kids. And that's a, that's a big part of who I am also. Very good. Very good. So when you started this project, did you did you already know that your family – uh, lineage went back to uh, slaves in the United States? I did, yes. I didn't know. Well, actually, I've known for a few years. I've been doing this research, not specifically for the book, but just for myself and mm-hmm. for my, my family. Uh, I started this in 1988. Oh, wow. And so I knew bits and pieces, and it was so hard to, to fit those pieces together. So uh, I finally got a name of the last um, enslaved member of my family about a year ago, maybe a year and a half ago. Wow. And it was, I was able to put together a couple more pieces. And finally the, the last piece came about 13 months ago. Well, 13 to 15 months ago, we'll say I was watching this series on TV called who do you think you are, which is a, a series of um, celebrities who were having their genealogy yeah, research I remember that. Profession, professionally. Yeah. And so I got, I got a couple of ideas from there that I didn't, I wasn't aware I didn't think about. And the main point was to go back to the source. That'll probably be the best opportunity you have to find original source material. So I um, went to Texas and it was my granddaughter's birthday. So I used that occasion to go down there and my daughter and I drove a couple of hours to Leon County, which is where my mother's family was from generations back, mm. including the, 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 the enslaved members. <clears throat> so I went, I, I got in touch with the guy who was in charge of, I'm not sure, historical society or genealogy society, whatever they called it. And he had a copy of the 1870 census, which for African-Americans, that's one of the holy grail of research documents. Wow. It's, it's the first U.S. census that actually mentioned African-Americans by name. Wow. Before that, 
um, they were listed either whether they were slaves or not, they weren't listed by their names. Mm. They were, if they were slaves, they were listed under their masters by their age and their sex. Mm-hmm. So as property, uh, yeah, as property. So it would say male 25 and that's all you would have. So there were, it's impossible to, to do any kind of research with that wow. kind of material. So 1870 was the first with, with names and families grouped together. So my, my goal is to find deeper information than that, but it's, it's going to be really challenging with, with no names mentioned. Yeah. So, um, when you, when you began to do your research, um, are there, did you find things that like surprised you? It's like, Oh man, I didn't expect this particular person or thing or position or title in my family tree, or was it, did you find it? It was just kind of what you expected it to be. It was, it was essentially what I expected it to be. It was, I was just trying to fit pieces together. I wasn't, you, you hear people all the time, whether they're talking about genealogy or reincarnation, they always think the most famous people in history are the ones who are in their, in their family trees. And, and I, and I had no delusions of that. I just wanted to find names and family stories. And then once I started putting this together, um, started writing it, I didn't want it to seem like a history book. Mm. I actually had a note on my computer that says, this, these are family stories, not history. And I, I didn't want it to get too bogged down. I wanted it to be more personal. Yeah. So my, my objective was really just to find the day-to-day stuff. Like I, most of my family, until my mom, for f- four generations before her, lived, they, they were born, um, grew up, married, and died within a two-mile square area wow so they had no mobility at all they, wow. they lived in the same little area of this same little county in east central texas so it was it was pretty easy to find where they were i just wanted to find what they did mm-hmm. and sort of what kinds of things motivated them so that that was that was my motivation well you said um that you're, you put the book together as a series of stories. Why don't you, uh, why don't you share a couple of those stories? Okay. My, my favorite story, and actually the story, the, the book is dedicated to Isaac Blayton, who is the earliest, um, ancestor I found. He was, he was born in Maryland, ironically, um, uh, just outside of Washington, DC. Oh, see, he, he knew the truth. He knew the truth about Texas. He didn't want to be born there. Oh, no. We're going to end this now. Can we go to commercial break? <laughs> it's going to be like one of those things where it's we come back one. and the guest has just walked off the set. <laughs> <He's gone>. <laughs> <laughs> so Isaac was born in, in Maryland in 1818, which ironically is the same year and the same state as Frederick Douglass. Wow. So he not not far away. And he was sold to a, a Texas family. In about 1843, from the best I could find. So he went from Maryland to Texas, landed in Leon County, and my family was there. And some of them are still there to this day in the same county. Wow. So my, my, in, my focus was on him. I wanted to find out as much about him as I could. And he was, he was a fascinating guy. He was a, a blacksmith and a cowboy. 
and that's probably sounds like a cliche that people outside of Texas think everybody in Texas is a cowboy, but he actually was. <laughs> I've always, I've always gotten a, a, a thrill out of wearing cowboy hats. Some of the oldest pictures I have of myself are me wearing cowboy hats. Well, you I, have one I'm on still, your, you have one on in your Twitter avatar. I do. Yeah. I, I, I wear cowboy hats almost everywhere except in the house and at work. And sometimes <laughs> I wear them at work. Just. <laughs> <laughs> when I want to annoy people who think they want to mess with Texas, I just remind Maryland. <laughs> yeah, so if I wear wear a cowboy hat, you know it's not a good day to try to mess with Texas. <laughs> Funny thing, when I first moved to Maryland, I would I would would wear my cowboy hat to work a lot more often than I do now, and people would stop me on the street when I was walking from my car in the parking garage to my office, and they would say, "You look like that guy on Walker, Texas Ranger." Oh, I, I remember him. I've never, and I had never even seen the show until that point. That's I'm thinking, funny. Who is this guy? And so I watched a couple of episodes just to see what they were referring to. Yeah. And I thought, no, I, I don't look like him. But your hat's he, the he, same color as his, he right? He wears a cowboy hat. Yeah. Yes. He yeah. wears a cowboy hat. I wear a cowboy hat. That's the only similarity. Oh, that's funny. So, so anytime somebody says, I like your cowboy hat, I say, and don't say, <laughs> I look like that guy from Walker, Texas Ranger. <laughs> <laughs> Oh man, that is so. so again, awesome. okay, getting back. Um, so Isaac was a cowboy, and um, he lived on the on a farm. And he was he um, really briefly I'll describe Juneteenth um, in mm. case people don't know. Um, the Emancipation Proclamation was was um, went into effect January first of eighteen sixty three, but the word didn't reach Texas for two and a half years. Mm-hmm. So it wasn't until June 19th of 1865. So that was when Isaac finally formally got his freedom. He and his wife, Elvira, and and their children. Um, Elvira was from the East Coast, too. So they were married here, and they both went to Texas, which was pretty rare because a lot of families were broken up when they were sold. But mm-hmm. they were able to stay together, mm-hmm. and they had children in Texas, and they're oldest child louisa is sort of one of the stars in the book Um, she lived to be 99 years old wow so she saw two world wars and um, spanish flu pandemic and a little bit of everything but she was she was a feisty person (laughs) she was um my i heard a few stories about her from my mom who was her granddaughter okay and and so great great granddaughter actually great granddaughter and but she lived until the 1940s my mom was born in 1932 so she was old enough to remember her and had heard some stories from her directly Mm -hmm. and so my mom had told me some of those stories when i was much younger and i tried to fill in what i didn't know and use that sort of as a stepping stone to know which direction to go in the research I want to ask you a question about, um, so, uh, I don't know, years ago, somebody in my family did a genealogy. This is way before the internet. <clears throat> so I don't know how they, I, I don't have any idea how they compiled the information. I can only guess that they drove to multiple different courthouses and looked through documents and or maybe went to the archives in their States or whatever. I have no idea, but they compiled a family history down through, I guess the mid 1980s or something like that. And it went back to 
family members whose last names I didn't even recognize. Uh, and I'm not even sure that those original last names of the story, which was Cox, C-O-X, um, mm-hmm. even made it down into any of my cousins or second cousins. I didn't recognize it at any level at all. But it was interesting to read back and to see uh, all these kinds of things. And so um, recently my daughter uh, picked it up and <clears throat> she got really interested. So, of course, she went to she went online and within just a short amount of time, like two hours, uh, found this extent. She was researching my wife's side, actually, um, and found this extensive uh, stuff all the way back across into Europe and Ireland and all this kind of thing. And and uh, my wife wanted me to be sure to say that, that you know that she's descended from royalty. So um, <clears throat> which goes to your thing about everybody thinks yeah. they're descended. From, every, you know, everybody else is, too. So I'm, I'm in hope to help for somebody. <laughs> So, yeah, that's what I'm going to tell her. I talked to Melvin about it. He said everybody's descended from royalty, hun. You're not special. Uh, so, so what? I, but the question that I have is this: for for African American families, is there something that's more uh, emotive? Is it more central to um, your placement in the, this world to to be able to trace this back? For me, it's like, oh, that's cool. I mean, literally, if I find out great, if I don't find out great, I'm not going to lose any sleep over it. Does it mean something different to African-Americans to be able to trace a history back and say, this is who and where I came from? Well, I I can't speak for every African-American person, but I can certainly speak for me and for for the family members I've talked to about the book after it came out. Mm -hmm. Uh, I've, I've reconnected to family members I haven't talked to in 20 or 30 years. Because there was, it certainly struck a chord with them Mm -hmm. and and they had lots of questions and they were thanking me for doing the research. And my 80 year old aunt, who was my, with my mom's youngest sister, uh, she came, I had a book signing in San Antonio last month and she drove from Houston to San Antonio to, to come to my book signing to see me in person. And I hadn't seen her probably since like the mid nineties. And she wanted to thank me for writing the book and then validating some of the stories that she had heard when she was a kid. Mm-hmm. And, and it was, it was, it was really nice. It was really, really nice. My mom died in 92. Okay. And, and, and this aunt was the one I thought was the most like her. So it was like my mom being there. Oh, that's in, awesome. In a lot of ways. Yeah. But, um, the, the more general point, it, it is a big deal because there's so little information available. So when you do find something, it's it's bigger than a needle in a haystack, mm-hmm. and it, it's also much more difficult to find than a needle in a haystack. Yeah. It's it's just there's just not that much information out there. When you I mean when you said a minute ago <clears throat> that you know they the 1870 census is like the holy grail, I mean the first thought that came to my mind was how quickly my daughter was able to go back you know multiple generations to immigrants from i don't even know the years i mean i I literally i think she made it back to the 12th century before she finally ran out of steam that day Uh, and how easy it was to do that um and how difficult it would be for you to get beyond 1870 in any you know any with any certainty um so that's a that's a big big deal yeah the first I've got a quick story about that. If sure. Huh. Uh, when I, when I started doing the research in 1988, I was, I just gotten engaged. I was 22 years old. This, uh, my former wife, uh, the mother of my children, uh, she was from new England and 
she's she's white and she, her family's from from Europe. Mm. I mean, from England mostly, and, and some Italian, but mostly from England. And so you had scones her, and spaghetti for dinner. Yes. <laughs> awesome. <laughs> and so, um, her first ancestors in America came right after the Mayflower. So it was the early 17th century. Wow. And, and there's a genealogy library in Houston, which is the second biggest genealogy library in the world after the one out in Salt Lake city. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we were doing the research. And we went there and my objective was to just find one or two people beyond the 20th century. Yeah. That was, that was how small I had to start. And she found a book on the shelf that turned out to be about her family, her specific family <laughs> Wow! in Texas when she was from New Hampshire <laughs> that, that went back about 500 years. Wow. And, and that's where she started her research. I I'm starting in the 20th century. Yeah. She's starting in the 15th century. That and is amazing. The, and she and her her brother have found another 300 um, years before that. Mm. So they've got a, about 800 years of, of family history they've been able to document. And I'm still only back to the 19th century. Wow. My guest today is Melvin Edwards, and we're talking, uh, in addition to talking about his book that he's written, we're just talking about family and genealogy. And uh, kind of what it's like to know where you're from. And uh, we'll be right back after this. So what does it take to keep uncommentary on the air? Uh, technically, it doesn't cost a lot. Um, there's costs associated with editing. There's costs associated with scheduling. And there's not a lot more. But nobody gets rich off of podcasts that they do from their room and their home. Uh, it's all about getting the content out and uh, doing what people uh, like and maybe even need to hear. So I do want to encourage you to become a Patreon, uh, or at least maybe a one-time gift. Uh, if you go to patreon.com slash uncommentary, you can become a supporter for as little as two bucks a month. I mean, that's like foregoing a 20 ounce Coke one time a month, and you can become a uh, $2 a month contributor supporter level. Uh, if you choose the $3 a month, you'll get a podcast logo, an uncommentary podcast logo. If you choose $5, the gold level, you'll get a mug. And these are actually pretty nice um, mugs. If you choose $10, you'll get a sticker and a mug. Uh, if you go above that, then there's other stuff. I mean, if you've just got like money to spare and you want to give $250 a month, we could really do some upgrades around here. Um, but the reality is it doesn't take a lot. And uh, a little bit helps out a ton and makes it worthwhile. And occasionally I can take my wife out for a meal. Uh, if you'd rather do a one-time thing, you can use PayPal, paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. That's paypal.me slash uncommentarypod. Or Patreon is monthly. And these are uh, auto drafts, so you don't have to write checks. You don't have to worry about it. You don't have to go back to the website. Uh, the $2 is gone. The $3 is gone. And really, uh, you never miss it. So that's patreon.com slash uncommentary as well. And now back to this week's episode. So I want to shift gears just a little bit and talk about um, genealogies and, and doing that kind of research. Um, you know, some folks are interested. They don't know how to get started. Uh, maybe they're scared of what they'll find. Maybe they should be in jail and they don't know it yet. Uh, so talk a little bit about how you how a person now can get started without maybe having to go to the Houston library. 
Well, th- there are so many online resources now. It, it's so much easier than when I started 30 years ago. You've got sites like Ancestry DNA or Ancestry.com, you know, 23andMe and, and MyHeritage and some of the other ones, where if you want proof of at least recent relatives, mm-hmm. you can submit your your DNA sample and they can connect you with people. And sometimes you end up finding out things that you didn't know about your family, yeah. or about your grandparents yeah. things that you don't, you don't really want to know. Yeah. That, I was going to, I was going to put a little <laughs> warning out there. I have a friend who, uh, who ran one of those things and, and found out that a parent wasn't the parent. Yes. Yeah. I actually had that happen. Um, I, I met um, an aunt about six months ago was my grandfather's daughter. That she and she's in her sixties, late sixties, and her father died—the one she thought was her father. Mm-hmm. And when he died, her mother told her that wasn't her father. Wow! And then she did her research and turned out that my grandfather was her father. And, wow! And and she called me because I was the closest relative to her in there. And, yeah. And and so we talked, and I connected her to the last of the surviving siblings and, and they've become really good friends. So it, it turned out that it, it had a, a, a happy ending. Excellent. But for uh, just the average person who's looking for a few family stories or, or has the capability of going much, much deeper and um, European roots, for instance, um, just lots of resource resources online. I would, I would start there and most of them are free. Mm-hmm. So, um, you can get some basic information from the free sites, and if you want more information or, or more details, um, generally you'll you'll have to pay a small monthly subscription rate to get the sources, deeper resources. Right. Um, I have a cousin who's done <clears throat> some of that, and one of the things that he finds interesting is that um, he'll get I don't know he'll get alerts or what, I guess emails or whatever notifications of some kind that one of the people that is one of our relatives has been tagged in a photo or something by someone else. And he's found, you know, extended relatives or, uh, you know, people who were friends with who had pictures with one of our relatives and they tagged that person cause they knew that they found out the name or whatever. So it just creates an enormous amount of connections, uh, both inside and outside extended family that uh, I guess for a lot of people would be very, very encouraging. It, it is. It's the, when you're doing research, when you find a new relative or a new paper trail or, or some mm-hmm. new resource that you weren't aware of, it's, it's so exciting. You, you look for something, you're looking for any kind of um, clue mm-hmm. you can find as to where you go with your next step. Cause it's, when you start, you can go in any direction and you want to have some kind of focus. And, and generally you take the, the focus becomes whatever evidence you find next. And so you're you're trying to get some kind of straight line where it's usually some buckshot yeah. going all over the place. <laughs> and uh, when I was doing my research, when um, I found out about Louisa Blayton, who was the first Texan born, natural born Texan of my ancestors, I got her, found her death certificate online. And that opened up a whole new realm of, of research for me because I had no idea when she died before that. I knew when she was born. Mm-hmm. I knew who her parents were. I knew where she lived. But I didn't know if she died. And she was born in 18, 
1850s. I didn't know if she died in, in the 1840s. I didn't know if she died in the 1890s or the 1950s. I, right. I had no idea. And when I found out that she lived until after World War II, that opened up a lot of things. Mm. I, it just it just made her really fascinating, and and it helped me. It, it didn't help me find the next person, but it helped me find out more stuff about her. Yeah. Um, you mentioned during the break uh, the section of your book that includes Texas Capital. So you start with um, enslavement and end, or at least semi-end, with something to do with the Texas Capital. Uh, I'm assuming that has something to do with you. That's the part about me, yes. Um, I started out my career as a newspaper reporter. I actually started specifically as a sports writer. I, I just wanted to get paid to write about sports. That was my dream job. Yeah. And I was 22 years old. I was hired for a daily newspaper, and I did writing for sports writing for that newspaper in the Houston area. Okay. And eventually, after a few years, I was moved to a different position and wrote a, a, a column, a weekly newspaper column. And who's the I most, who's the most famous uh, uh, athlete that you interviewed? Um, Nolan Ryan. I thought maybe from uh, Texas when, that would have been right. Yeah, when he was with the Astros, I interviewed him. I interviewed um, Jeff Bagwell and Craig Biggio during their rookie years. Wow. So those are the, the Hall of Famers I've interviewed who played for the Astros. I, I interviewed some of the Houston Oilers and Houston Rockets or Kim Olajuwon was another one. Oh yeah. Famer. Yeah. Very so cool. So there are quite, quite a few big name athletes who were playing during those years. Yeah. But uh, when I became a, a columnist, I, I continued to write some about sports, but I sort of branched off into writing about personal history things and as a young dad and, and about politics. And one of my readers was a, a Texas state Senator who enjoyed my perspective and my columns and, um, talked to him and and eventually he hired me to to become his communications director mm. so i was just about to turn 30 years old and um went from the houston area to austin and, and worked in the state capital and eventually worked for um, texas governor rick perry who's has the record for the, the longest tenure as as governor of texas and, and one of the longest of any state no kidding he was go- governor for 15 years Man, when, somebody wasn't messing I, with Texas <laughs> <laughs> until until George W. Bush. No Texas um, governor had ever served more than four years. Wow, I did not know that. Yeah, because the the, the terms were two the, the the length of terms were two years uh-huh. before the eighties, and so you could have two two year terms. And the the law the rule changed at some point, and you could have two four year terms. And Bush was elected to two four year terms. He didn't serve his full second right. term because he became president. And Perry was his lieutenant governor and be, became governor. And then the rule changed somewhere along the way. This the anti sort of, it's the reverse FDR rule. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so it was yeah the opposite of term limits. So he just went on and on and on. <laughs> <laughs> so, so it was it was really interesting being in that position and, and seeing how um, the wheels of government grind when you're behind the scenes. I also often hear it, heard it said that you you may like eating sausage, but you don't want to see sausage right, being made. Right, and, and that's sort of how I came to feel about politics. I, I love still to this day. I love politics. I like talking about politics, 
and I didn't really enjoy seeing yeah. how it worked. Yeah. So my guest today is Melvin Edwards. He's written a uh, what sounds like a really interesting book, uh, "The Eyes of Texans: From Slavery to the Texas Capital: Personal Stories from Six Generations of One Family." Available on Amazon. Did you publish through uh, Amazon's publishing platform? I did. Okay. Yes. Um, through an, in paperback format, ebook, and then it recently came out in audiobook. Format. Oh, good. D- did you do your own reading? I did not. Okay. I, I hired a, a voice actor to do it. Okay. Denzel I, Washington? Not Denzel. <laughs> <laughs> it's funny how my daughter is, and she keeps telling me, when this comes out in the movie, you got to get Denzel Washington <laughs> to play either you or Isaac Blake. So, well, I didn't do the reading for the book. But if it comes out in a movie, I'm playing myself. Oh, yeah. yeah. No <laughs> kidding. Oh, my gosh. That's hilarious. So uh, you're on Twitter. Uh, is it at Melvin Edwards? I can't remember. It's actually Edwards21228, which is probably confusing for a lot of people. But if you look up Melvin E. Edwards, you'll, you'll find me pretty easy. Okay. All right. And uh, do you have a website that you maintain outside of um, just something for your book, somewhere where you write regularly? I don't. Okay. Um, I probably should, but I, I don't currently have one now. Okay. Well, man, thanks for hanging out today. This has been really interesting, and I know folks have been encouraged. And um, I hope to I hope to meet you in, in the reels someday. Yes, we're going to meet in Texas, <laughs> and I'll I'll protect you for a little while. But it, but if you start being too loud with your your Texas uh, sort of knife trashing yeah and you're you're going to be on your own I'll, t- I'll take pictures and i'll write about it i will uh yeah i will uh <laughs> i will not hold you to that but it would be nice to meet you in person that sounds great As always, thank you for listening to Uncommentary. If you'd like to keep up with me on Twitter, it's at Marty Duran. If you'd like to follow the podcast account, it's at UncommentaryPod. Please rate and review. And whichever podcatcher you listen to, uh, whether it's uh, Apple Podcasts or Google Play or Podbean uh, or Overcast or CastBox, whichever one you use, uh, if you can rate and review, then that would be awesome. It just helps with search results and gives some credibility uh, to the podcast itself. Uh, and as you have an opportunity, if you would promote it, whether you uh, put the link from uncommentarypodcast.com uh, on your Facebook page, or if you tweet the link or retweet the uh, the initial broadcast that it's live, uh, anything like that to help spread the word is always appreciated. And as always, uh, Solideo Gloria, this is Marty Duran for Uncommentary Podcast. Uncommentary Podcast.